Can you sail under the command of a pirate? Or can you not? You don't listen, do you? I don't think you ever really hear me. This nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. It stuck with me. I kept coming back to it, just trying to figure out where in the world we had gone so wrong that it had ended up here. Well, I didn't think you had it in you. I'm your huckleberry. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Why, Johnny Ringo. You look like somebody just walked over your grave. Fight's not with you, Holiday. I beg to differ, sir. We started a game we never got to finish. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? We got here, Ian. And welcome to the Pirate Professor Podcast. This is your captain speaking. How are you guys doing today? Hopefully you're doing fantastic. I am not on the boat right now. I'm actually at the cabin, which is where I have been. I actually took my uh, podcast gear down to the boat with me this past week. And I was hoping to actually record a uh, episode or three down there from the boat, but um, sort of unexpected. Well, it's kind of unexpectedly. It's hurricane season. We had a, another potential hurricane come through, and so I had to deviate my attention to that. And then the marina itself was out of power for a few days. Because uh, they shut it down because of the storm surge rose up and flooded things. And they don't want people to get electrocuted. Apparently that's bad. And anyway, so it didn't happen because I was having to run off a generator on the boat. And that just makes a lot of noise that's not going to necessarily be that conducive to um, recording a good podcast. So here we are. And it is a lovely, lovely day outside. Uh, this is the first day that I have worn a flannel shirt and didn't feel like I was lying to myself. And uh, it's feeling pretty good outside. It's blue sky. Um, temperatures in the 60s today. Maybe, I guess maybe it's bumping 70. But just barely. It's It's bumping 70 with, you know, hesitation. It's not fully committed to it. Anyway, so here we are, uh, and I'm back again, and I am, I recorded another podcast for one of my other classes earlier today, and 
and I'm sorry for those who were listening to it. I guess it was okay. Uh, I just had some technical difficulties, like the power went out midway through it. Uh, but I was thinking about this one, and uh, hey, by the way, there's cows. I've got the windows open, and there's cows uh, in the pasture by the cabin, so you may hear that. Um, so I've been putting off recording this episode today. It was. It's one of those... I, 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 it's not lazy kind of putting off. It's uh, more anxiety sort of putting it off. Because uh, today we're going to talk about writing. And writing is something that is extraordinarily important to me. And so everything today is all about good writing. From uh, the things I talk about, to the music I play, to everything. Everything revolves around writing words that impact people and i guess i'm i'm a little anxious about it today because i don't want to f this up right i, I guess it's one of those like i know what the powerpoint says and i know and i know what the chapter says about it but if we're talking about writing we're talking about something that's fundamental uh to who we are as journalists and who we are as writers and who we are as storytellers and there's no coming back from bad writing. I mean, it's it's one writing is one of those things that you you get good at it, but I don't know that you ever like. There's never a point that you you know everything because there's it's it's a there's always a point that you can be better. And the other thing is is when you write like there's a point that you're like I'm writing and I think I'm writing really well and then you go back and a few years later and you read what you wrote and you're like I didn't know what I was doing I've gone back and read stuff that you know when I was in college and I thought oh this is like I'm gonna I'm gonna win a friggin Pulitzer for this thing and uh turns out yeah not so much I thought it was good but as someone who's coming back with it older eyes and and more life experience and have written who knows how many words since then um, I'm a lot better now than I was and so and this is kind of where I've, I've, I've sort of landed I started out my journalism career in broadcast um, and then spent a lot of years in the multimedia world which I guess I still am um, but I really gravitated more back toward the written word as I've you know gotten older and I think it's because I'm, I've really started I've, I've really landed back in the world of long form I don't have much use for short stuff anymore um, I think part of our problem in, in modern journalism is because we focus too much on the short stuff and some of that will will, will, will be going over today because some of the things I'm going to cover in this chapter are about you know, it's writing for the web and like how do you structure things that so people can who are in a hurry uh, can read it quick and get out and go. Um, and then we can get into other things. This is, this is one of the sort of revelations I had a, a few years ago is, you know, you can also write for search engine optimization. So SEO. So there's strategies on how you where you place words and keywords and all of these other things. So that the web spiders and 
web bots that will find these things and they'll categorize, categorize it and index it and help people. It'll direct them to where they need to go. And it's the idea, at some point, the idea of writing for algorithms became offensive to me. I get that it's necessary in a certain world, in a certain environment. But I had this moment one day when I was kind of sort of reflecting on it. Um, like, what if... Can you even imagine the great writers of, of history writing for algorithms? Like, can you imagine, you know, William Faulkner or Hemingway or Shelley or Thoreau, Whitman, any, any of these writers writing for an algorithm? I can't. Not, not in, if they had, they wouldn't be who they are. If they had, then you wouldn't know who they were today. Uh, because you're letting the medium dictate the writing. And I'm not sure that's a great idea. Um, so this is the point that I just sort of get bluntly honest. was part of, you know, the state of technology, state of uh, media. There's a point that I, I'm not, I quit letting kind of the expectation define what I write. I'm, I'm, I'm going to write what I'm going to write, period. And so that's kind of where I come to you now, um, dear students. It turns out some of my former students who just missed the time in class. Uh, I've been gravitating to this podcast as well. So, hey, guys, miss you too. Here's a question I remember asking a few years ago, and I was kind of dumbfounded by the response because I thought it was a rhetorical question. I was, it was in this I think it was actually covering this chapter several years back. I just asked my class, it's like, Hey, how many of you guys, um, love to write or like to write? And like only a small percentage of the students in my class raised their hand. I'm like, Holy hell, you're journalism majors. Like this is like writing is the central thing that we do. It doesn't matter what else what other medium that we're doing, whether it's video or, or anything else, or it, writing is the thing that is central. That's what we do. And it turns out like there was a big chunk of them that they didn't, they didn't really want to write. They didn't like writing. And so I'm, I'm turning that question to you right now. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm doing something that I guess would be counterintuitive uh, for, a university that's going, hey, we want, you know, retention, retention, retention. Let me just be real bluntly honest with you. If you don't like to write, get out of journalism now. I'm serious. Get out. I'm, I'm doing you a favor. If you're not willing to commit yourself to learning how to write well, you're not going to make it in this world. It's too competitive. There's too much at stake. You're going to spend too many lonely nights banging away at a keyboard hoping for the best. And if you're producing, not if you're producing garbage, but if your heart's just not in it, if your heart's not in it, then what comes out on paper or the screen 
will reflect that lack of interest. And you're going to tell bad stories. And the world has enough people telling bad stories right now. So, here's, here's what I'm just simply going to say to you today. If you're going to write, commit to it. Like, go all the way. Learn how to just bury yourself into your writing. Learn how to obsess over words and sentences and paragraphs, and so they become... You're constantly trying to refine them. Rid yourself of the idea that it's good enough. Rid yourself of whatever the bullshit writing rules that you taught were taught in grammar class. This is writing. This isn't follow the leader. This isn't paint by numbers. This is you are telling you are a you're an author. You're a writer. You have a story to tell. And you have to learn how to use those tools to tell that story well. And if you choose your words wisely, you can change the world. I'm not kidding. Think about the greatest, you know, the greatest chunks or pieces or mementos of history are almost always writing. The thing that changed how we think about things. You know, you could talk about Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, you could, which he ad-libbed. He abandoned the script and then told that. Good writing. Good choice of words. Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. U.S. Constitution. These are just, these are governmental and political type documents. Changed the world. Think about all the other stories, the great novels. The great stories that we read and we think about, the ones that stick with us. The ones that get passed down generation after generation after generation. Treat your words as if they matter because they do. So with that said, I'm going to get us started. And every, like I said, everything today is just simply about good writing, and that includes the music. So today, getting a little bit more, um, we're digging a little deeper, uh, getting a little heavier with some of the music. Uh, um, so today, we got Nina Simone, and then uh, we'll have Billie Holiday later. Let's get going. Yeah? Yeah. I put a smell on you. Cause you're mine. Stop the things you do 
Quote from Hemingway. It's from A Farewell to Arms, which happens to be my absolute favorite Hemingway quote. Or, I'm sorry, Hemingway novel. The world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong in the broken places. But those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good, and the very gentle, and the very brave, impartially. If you're none of these things, if you're none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too. There will be no special hurry. Such good writing. Just good, good writing. Read that one more time. So the uh, let, me, let me let me back up. Um Let me just read it again. The back. Let me, let me back. The backdrop to this is is war. Um, it's a theme in a lot of Hemingway uh, or several Hemingway novels. Uh, Spanish Civil War, um, World War One. He writes a lot about these things. But a farewell to arms. The world breaks everyone, and afterwards. Many are strong at the broken places. But those that it will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave and partially. But if you're none of these, you can be sure it will kill you too. But there will be no special hurry. Such good stuff. Such good stuff. I can just keep quoting. There's... it was one of those Hemingway's one of those guys. Do you drink coffee? Do you? Do you like do you drink coffee black? 
it's an acquired taste. There's a lot of things that are acquired taste, like beer. Good beer is acquired taste. Hemingway, I discovered, is an acquired taste because it wasn't. It wasn't really. There was. There was nothing there. That when I first read it, like you know, I was like everyone else. I had to read The Old Man in the Sea when I was in high school, and I didn't really get it. And it's and and then I got older, and then someone suggested that I start reading his short stories. And so I sort of pushed myself through the process where I didn't really enjoy them at first, um, because Hemingway has a very sparse writing style and it's intentional. And I just, um, it took time, but then, and then at some point, actually, I went to, I was in Key West, and I went to Hemingway's house in Key West, and I don't know, something kind of clicked. I guess it was being in the place that he was. Uh, and actually, in Arkansas, there is, uh, if you go up to the uh, Pfeiffer Hemingway house up in Pigott, up in northeast Arkansas, uh, you can um, go see where uh, Pauline Pfeiffer, his uh, second wife, his rich wife, um, where her parents lived and he would stay. Uh, they would come to visit and stay for extended periods of time. And he had, he had a little writing uh, place in the back. Um, but you start picking stuff out, and you start learning, and then he would, would did a great job of coaching a lot of people. It was, it was, it was really kind of a, a bit of a... It's hard to call him a good man. Um, he had a lot of demons. and uh, But he was a pretty good mentor at the same time. So... Um, complicated you just had to look at him a little bit differently anyway so um, anyway I just want to get I'm, I get hung up on Hemingway sorry I'm, I, I'm I'm looking at Goodreads right now and I'm just sort of looking I'm scanning uh, Hemingway uh, quotes you know like from the old man of the sea but a man is not made for defeat he said a man can be destroyed but not defeated Another quote, every man's life ends the same way. It is only the details of how he lived and how he died that distinguishes one man from another. Ah, another one. The best people possess a feeling for beauty, the courage to take risks, the discipline to tell the truth, the capacity for sacrifice. Ironically, their virtues are what make them vulnerable. They are often wounded, sometimes destroyed. And then the next quote, I guess, is a, is the good segue into what we're we're talking about. Specifically, as a journalist, he started out in Kansas, uh, or Kansas City, uh, the Kansas City Star, as a uh, writer, as a newspaper journalist. And he says, as a writer, you should not judge; you should understand. And there's a lot of truth to that, especially in the world where. It, let me segue into the world of. Um, modern journalism, modern clickbait stuff, uh, where people just want to get views, 
more views and more views and more views and more views. Um, your job's not, there's, there's things that your job is, um, judging isn't necessarily one of them. Providing context is truth only hurts when it's supposed to. So we're not necessarily supposed to go after people and just attack them, but we're also not supposed to leave them alone either. Our job is to tell the truth. And again, one more Hemingway, you know, advice on writing is just write one true sentence, write the truest sentence, you know. So let's just kind of start there. Let's, let's start with some tips on like being a better writer right from the beginning. So the first thing, and I can't even begin to express how important this one is. Just be curious. Like this goes back to what I was saying earlier. If you're not curious about the world, you're not going to see what's there. Our brains have a great tendency and it, and it's by necessity that we, we block things out that seem that are unimportant. So we're, there's this idea of a narrative that we, the way we view the world is through, we remember the things that are important to us, the things that we feel that matter, the things that we, or that we find relevant. So the things that our brain says, this isn't relevant for me, we tend to block it out. And so we don't remember it. So this is, you know, this is how you end up forgetting, you know, driving 20 minutes to your apartment or wherever. This is how you forget someone's name. This is how you forget certain information it, just because it wasn't relevant. This is also how you don't see certain things that are right in front of you because your brain just blocks it out. So your job is to be curious. Your job is to watch and to listen and to pay attention to what's going on around you. Observe your surroundings. This observation is what is it giving you the fuel for your writing. Also, you need to understand the difference between a topic and a story. A topic is something much broader. A story is the thing that brings that topic to life. It's something more specific. You can write a lot of different topic or a lot of different stories underneath a specific topic. Um, so learn those differences. A story comes underneath a topic. Stick to the facts. Number three. I was having a conversation with a guy uh, the other day. These are my neighbors. And he is a friend of mine. Um, he's in his 70s and he's pretty conservative. And he just kind of made sort of a blanket statement that there's no good journalism anymore. And I argued with him on that one. Um, there's plenty of good journalism. There's just a lot of bad stuff out there pretending to be journalism right now. And part of that is a lot of stuff that's just a lot of unverifiable BS gets thrown on a website that looks pretty professional and people can't tell the difference. So stick to the facts. The, the, difference between good journalism and the other stuff is is we report report things things that can be verified we use sources and make statements that can be verified we have factual evidence and 
factual evidence is not a Google search. It's more, it's deeper. Um, it's going in a lot, a lot further than that. So stick to the facts, clear source, and it can be checked for accuracy. Um, I don't know. I think I probably told you this. I told somebody this, if it was you, it deserves repeating. I had posted an article. I don't remember. I don't remember exactly what I, I posted. It was, a, it was probably a news stories, a news story. It made some people pretty upset and I had a guy challenging me on it and, and he said he'd researched it and he sent me a, a news site that and asked me what I thought about it. And, and, and I told him, I thought it wasn't news, uh, that what he sent me, cause it was just a super hardline, um, conservative publication. I, and I don't even want to call it conservative cause it was really more conspiracy uh, and I, I want to give, I give conservatives more credit than conspiracy. Conspiracy is its own thing. I don't care if it leans left or leans right. Uh, fake is fake. Um, and this one, the person who wrote it wasn't a reporter. Um, the person it, actually in their byline, it said they were an activist. So it should have been their first clue. And anyway, I just threw it back and I was like, look, you're, it looks, it's a pretty website, but it's it's not journalism. So, um, we write things and we make statements. If we make a clear and concise statement, then we were able, we should be able to back it up. Also, number four, don't underestimate the interview. Um, and we've talked about that. Talk more about that. Interviews are the lifeblood of good journalism. When we sit down and we talk to somebody there's an art and a science to that on how we get them comfortable and how we talk and how we pull information out of them and how we pull the best kind of information out of them. Um, we don't necessarily just want a bunch of yes, no, gotcha questions. We want, we want their story. And so we take time to prepare for those stories and we take time. And sometimes like, especially if I'm writing long stuff, um, I'll learn things in the interview that then I'll continue to go research after the fact because someone can say something to me and it, it means something to me on a surface level but it, it, it only means that much to me because I don't I can't see it through their eyes and so I'll spend a lot of time researching and trying to find out what something really means from them uh, and that goes to the research 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 part so I tend to write long pieces you know, I don't four, three, four or 5,000 word, um, stories, magazine type stuff. That's where I, I really like to, to do it. Um, and I try to really, like, I, I believe in sort of the idea of embedding myself into a place for a while to get a feel of it. I don't really think you learn enough by just coming, coming in, getting the stuff and getting out. Um, and part of that research is just sitting and watching and observing. Um, I could, I've, I've talked stuff about going down to the border and I've spent a couple of years down there and provide context for being down there. Um, but a shorter story I did, it was more local as a few years ago, I guess a couple of years ago, I wrote a, a story on the monks at, uh, Subiaco, uh, monastery. And part of my time there is I just, I just went and spent a few days with them. Like I, you know, they had 
place I could stay, a little room. And so I stayed in a room and I just followed, I shadowed the monks for a few days and talked to them and interviewed them and interviewed multiple of them and just wandered around and sort of tried to live the monk life for, you know, a few days to see how that fit. And then, you know, and over a course of, you know, several interviews throughout that time, I got a much better understanding, but it didn't even end there. Um, at the bookstore, I picked up um, a book that was, you know, it's like a 300-page book on the history of the place. I bought it, and I read it. I bought another book that, you know, had all their principles for the, you know, monastic life that they follow. I, I read it. And, you know, so I've got two or three days living with them, multiple interviews within that time, and... You know, plus I read two books, and that I did all of that before I wrote the first word. This is research, research, research. If you want to, if you want to write it well, you have to really understand it, and so you have to spend the time to do that kind of stuff. And I get, you know, sometimes if you're writing for the local paper, you can't go spend three days with somebody, but um, sometimes you can, and sometimes you should. So number six, as far as our list, use active and vibrant verbs. Basically, learn to use good language. Learn, get a, get yourself a good vocabulary. Read a dictionary. Really, seriously, read a dictionary. Learn, improve your vocabulary. Learn how to write words that mean exactly what you want them to be, not just sort of in the category. Like we don't we don't write good. It's good. Unless, you know, that's the only word that matters. Um, learn how to use words well. Also, you don't one of the things I see a lot with students because they're trying to fill space is they'll they'll throw these huge quotes into their stories. Uh, and sometimes the broadcast students will do the same thing. They, they won't write or do a narration because they're just they're just they're filling up space after you know lots and lots of space with just quotes and really the only you only use the quotes uh when the subject the person you're interviewing is could say something or is saying something better than you can summarize you got to be able to go deep uh and you got to be able to unpack the things that they say a lot of what we do is we take the things that someone else is saying and we translate it in the way that average people can understand it and it and not just say what they want to say but mean what they want to mean you also want to grab the, re the reader's attention with a good lead and, and the good lead is simply within the context of the story you want to grab it's a hook you're you're telling them this is why you should care and that's probably the biggest thing you're you're about to cause this person to commit a certain amount of time of their life to reading whatever it is that you're writing and you're giving them assurance at this point that it's worth their time also and this really should go without saying but I guess it needs to be said make sure your story has a beginning a middle and the end like this is the thing that happens sometimes there's not necessarily a narrative to it it just sort of goes on for a little bit and then it just stops. Like there's no real beginning. There's no, it's just a, a line of thought and then ends. 
that's not a story. That's a chunk of text. It's not a story though. And then when you get to the end, take a break. Maybe it depends on what it is. Maybe you can, you know, maybe you get an hour. Maybe you don't. Maybe you have to reread it as soon as, depending on the deadline. Uh, maybe you have a few days. Give yourself a chance to get away from it and then go back and reread it and revise the work. Look for common themes. Look for things that can be improved. Look for words that can change. Never turn in your first draft. Your first draft is garbage. I don't care how eloquent of a writer you are. Your first draft is garbage. Go back, clean it up, make it better. You have that in you. Do it. Just just don't 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 just throw something down and turn it in. Don't do it. Don't be that person. Okay, so let's move into the online stuff. This, this is more about readers rather than writers. So we've on, online, we've basically got three different styles of writers. I guess just newspapers as well. You've got comprehensive samplers and scanners. The comprehensive readers, they read absolutely everything. Beginning to end. Samplers, they're just sort of picking and choosing the stories that they want and then reading only as much as they want. Like they're just picking the stuff that interests them. Scanners are, are kind of reading the headlines and captions of everything. They're just not necessarily going through the stories. They're just like, okay, these are what's going on in the world. I don't necessarily need to know all the details. I just need to know what's happening. And that's it. Now, one of the things that's interesting is people often assume that, uh, that we read faster online. It's actually inaccurate. We technically, statistically, read about 25% slower than we do on print. Uh, I think people get the, the assumption that we read faster online because we tend to skip a lot. Uh, most people, I would say most people get to skip a lot. I don't, how many do? I don't know. But I would just say, as a general rule, we're skimming more than we aren't. Um, and often, you know, it's just, uh, just we're, we're going slower. We're just going slower. Um, the other thing is when you, you go into at least a web platform, uh, people are going after it with a different, uh, different kind of engagement than they would in print. And the idea is that you're just kind of getting in to get things done. I've noticed kind of a trend lately where at the beginning of the story, they won't even write the story. They'll just write a few bullet points of this is what the story is going to cover. And then there's a headline and something else and an ad, and then you get to the story. So if you just want to read the headline or the, the little bullet points and get on with life, you can do that. Um, and web users um, want to construct their own web experience. This is what we, you know, we were talking about linear versus nonlinear. So the nonlinear, nonlinear web experiences. I'm, I'm making this thing what I want it to be. Um, and part of what our news feeds are from an online perspective is we, we create that. Um, depends on if you use any news apps. It typically will ask you kind of like what kind of stuff are you interested in and not interested in like i don't pay attention to sports at all so i i don't ever care about what scores are or who did what or anything by espn so i just get rid of all that stuff it's just not my thing um you know but other people may be super heavy into that and so that's most of what they read so you you know you create your own thing now as far as crafting your new stories 
um, very often we write in something, uh, we, we've got hard news and then kind of a soft news, it's more soft news is, um, Our feature stories are typically more, more literary in style, um, more narrative in style. Uh, if you're writing something that's more hard news, we follow something that's much more uh, what we'd call the inverted pyramid. We put the most important stuff at the beginning and the least important stuff at the end. Uh, so basically what we do is we, we try to use the first few paragraphs or the first bit of the story to tell readers what happened. And then we use the remaining um, time to talk about why it's important, why it matters. Now, the inverted pyramid was it's developed for a couple of reasons. One, from an editing standpoint, it is for newspapers. Is that if an editor, a reporter turns in a, a story, but you've got limited space in the newspaper and the editor needs to cut something, the reporter by default has said the least important stuff in the story is at the end. So it makes it easier to cut. Um, some historians also believe that part of that is in the early days of the Civil War and the AP uh, wire service when this a lot of this stuff came out in writing AP style. Things were getting shipped across the telegraph line, which were notoriously um, unreliable. So if you put the most important stuff at the beginning of the telegraph, then it had the greatest chance of getting through. And one of the other things is you have to learn how to cre create quality headlines. I guess this is one of the advantages of things like when, in social media, Twitter specifically, is how you craft a headline that's going to grab somebody's attention and get them to read. Uh, we can talk about clickbait if you want to, but I'd rather not. But that's essentially what it is. You're writing a headline that's going to cause someone to want to read that story. Now... Um, we also have leads. Leads are typically what come in the beginning of the story, and this is the. And depending on what kind of story we're writing, we can have um, different structures. One is a summary lead, and the summary lead is ba it just does exactly what it says. It sort of just sums up everything's out there, all the core questions, right at the very beginning. Um. On the PowerPoint and in the textbook, the, the example is one American and 64 others were killed late Sunday in Uganda when an explosion ripped through a crowd watching the World Cup final. Ugandan authorities suspect Somalia's most feared terrorist group, Al-Shabaab, is responsible for the attack. Everything is all contained in just a couple of sentences. So if you didn't need to read anything more, didn't have time, you wouldn't have to. You get the basic information. Um, do do I'm going to another. I'm looking at a different one. A blind lead, though, is uh, kind of a clever way to get people in there. You exclude the name of the person in the story um, that it's centered on and offering it in, this, in the second paragraph. This is how you're drawing them deeper into your story to get them to keep, keep reading. For an example, an Indianapolis man was shot Monday by the owner of a home he broke into in Marion County, police said. So that's the opening line that's the blind lead but it doesn't tell you who it involved so what the next sentence would probably be given the name of the person and moving on with the story um if they could but yeah so they draw them into it the next one if you're following the powerpoint or in the textbook is the world's worst named uh lead identification of impact and factual leads 
it's not really even a name. You know, these lit reader know why they should care about a story. Like it's, it's not just telling you what happened, but why it matters. So the example is property tax caps should boost Indiana's economy over the next few years by increasing a homeowner's disposable income and lowering costs for businesses, according to a recent Ball State University study. So they're telling you what happens and then providing you uh, some information on why you should be interested or concerned about that. An umbrella leads next one uh, brings together two or three topics into a single lead to show the relationship and the context for them. For example, the Allen County School Board voted Friday to eliminate 32 teaching positions across 16 schools. All right, so that could be one right there if it was just like a summary lead. But instead they go on. The Allen County School Board voted Friday to eliminate 32 teaching positions across 16 schools in spite of the fact that the enrollments will increase by nearly 4% countywide this year. So in that particular case, they're bringing in two different topics that help you understand that, oh, the school board is cutting positions even though they're going to be more students. And that provides context in helping you understand sort of the relationship between the things. Now, if we get into feature news, soft news, um, things that are uh, kind of the difference between soft news and hard news. So hard news is things you need to know. Soft news is things you want to know. Sort of an easy way to remember that. You have anecdotal leads. And these make use of a short vignette or some sort of anecdote that's a reflection on a large story, larger story. So the example is Sir, uh, Terry Sanchez lumbers under a football field. His six foot five inch frame casts an enormous shadow on the early morning ground. Up at 4 a.m. six days a week for early morning workouts. Sanchez is no stranger to hard work. And so they're basically creating a little analogy, a little metaphor, a little, they're, they're creating symbolism is what they're doing. Uh, and so you're using that little story within a story uh, to kind of create. So if you're talking about casting a shadow, you know, his physical frame is casting a shadow, but his work ethic also casts a shadow for others. Uh, descriptive leads. So remember we're in the uh, soft lead category now. These paint a picture by setting a scene or offering vivid detail and drawing the reader in. These are something you often do a lot in radio as well. So if you're not, not just writing in... Um, for print, but if you're doing a story for radio and you want to get, um, you want to illuminate kind of the place that you are or whatever it happens to be, uh, you're going to create a, um, a visual scene for the person who's reading at home or listening. Uh, so the example is just walking through the door or the front door of Jenny Martin's apartment is a challenge. Boxes of everything from dishes to tennis shoes cover the floor of her small living room. So you're painting a picture. You're setting this thing so you're kind of helping understand what's there. Quotation leads. Uh, it's exactly what it says. You're leading with a quote. I don't guess I have to explain much more. You're leading with a quote. Uh, here's some more things to remember. First, establish your angle. Um, you have to understand why this thing's important. And you need to, your angle is sort of the direction at which you tell it. Like how what what's the perspective that you're going to examine it? Imagine for like if you're looking at it through a camera. There's all different directions that you can take a photo. Like you you have a person standing in a room and you're holding a camera. 
there's a lot of different directions and angles that you could take their photo. You, you know, you, you look in reference to where the light is, where their face is, what they're looking at, what, you know, you're, you're making editorial decisions on what you want the audience to get out of this. And so you need to understand that angle. Um, it's figure out why the story is important and sort of the clear focus and like how, what you want your audience to walk away from and, and focus on that. Also, I think it's kind of hard, especially for the ADD types among us, uh, stay on point, stay on task. Once you figure out what it is that you want to focus on, stick with that. It's real easy to sort of deviate. Uh, and this is part of why you never, ever turn in your first draft because sometimes you'll find it's like, oh, that was a really good paragraph and it has nothing to do with what I wanted to accomplish. So you, you got to get rid of it. Um, Stephen King wrote a really good book on writing. I think it's called On Writing. Uh, and one of the things, and I shared it with one of my other classes this last week, was you have to learn to kill your darlings. It's a very Stephen King sort of thing to say. So you find something that's just beautiful, but it's not, it doesn't belong there. You got to take the axe to it. Kill it. Kill it with vengeance. It's painful. It's, it's really hard to do. Um, also provide context. Don't mistake writing tightly to eliminate answers to the most significant questions. Let me reread that because I feel like I just sort of wandered through that statement. Provide context. Do not mistake writing tightly to eliminating answers to the most significant question. And that question is, why should your readers care? This is the thing that I guess people forget a lot is they'll write something. And at some point you're just like, why, does, why should anyone care about this? Why is this important? And I'm doing a good, a good enough job relating why this thing is important, why they should care. Um, as far as structures, this goes back into what I was talking about earlier. And I don't really like talking about this, but it's reality. Organize your paragraphs in order of importance. This goes back to the inverted pyramid. Uh, by the way, write in paragraphs. I don't know where this thing is coming from. I've seen lately. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm having students turning in work with zero paragraphs. It's all one giant block of text, and and half the time they're they're using text speak in their writing. Um, I get it. Linguistics, writing, and language change. I get it. But there are form, formal places for writing, and and until that stuff makes its way in there then it's still on the outside, still on the fringe, uh, still a informal form of writing. You are writing formally. Use proper punctuation, proper grammar, proper structure. Break it up. Organize those paragraphs in order of importance. And write in a fluid of narrative. Like your writing shouldn't be choppy and erratic. Don't like your paragraphs should flow into each other. It shouldn't just be independent ideas and thoughts. Um, use quotes wisely. Don't just throw stuff in there because you're looking for filler. Use them to provide insights, express emotion, or illustrate statements that you can't sum up better. Also, avoid unsubstantiated statements. Avoid things that, like people say. Re avoid research. Okay, my, this is one. Research shows. What research? Whose research? 
show me the example, show me the original documentation, show me where this came from, show me the people who put this together. Are they qualified to put this together? What, and leave your opinions out of it on top of that. Avoid unsubstantiated statements. These things are plaguing modern journalism, I guess. The stuff posing as journalism. Um, also, when I write online, typically I do typically break things into smaller paragraphs. Uh, it typically, I and I have my own kind of particular style of writing, and everybody will get their own style. And mine, especially if I want a, a story to have a fast pace to it when the people read it, I'll break it into shorter paragraphs so it kind of has that sort of flow. Um, proofreading. Going back to don't ever turn in your first draft. I don't know how many times I can repeat that, but one more should um, certainly won't hurt anything. Don't turn in your first draft. Proofread your stuff by actually reading it out loud. This is a trick I learned a long time ago. Your brain, remember when I was talking about your brain will just shut things out. Your brain, your brain knows what you're trying to say. And it's amazing how much it will tell you that you said exactly what you said, even though that's not what you put on paper. You'll find a lot more mistakes if you'll physically read the thing out loud. Uh, it will, it'll help you catch mistakes. It'll help you catch typos. It will help you catch all kinds of stuff that you won't catch if you're reading it silently. And then finally, um, if you get a chance, get someone else to proofread it as well, because they're going to find stuff that you wouldn't find. Because again, your brain knows what you're trying to say. And if you put it in front of somebody else, you'll find out if it confuses them. Okay, that was chapter six. And we're going to wind down and write it an hour for this one. There's a whole lot more I can say on writing, but I'm covering what we're testing on. So I'll probably revisit this at some point in time. And uh, talk some more about, you know, how to write well how to write well, how to write in a way that impacts. So with that said, I'm going to take us out with Billy Holiday and a song that just hits hard if you pay attention to it. This is Strange Fruit. See you guys next time. the
gallant south the bulging ass and the twisted mouth scent of magnolia sweet and fresh then the sudden smell of burning flesh here is a fruit for the crows to pluck for the rain together for the wind to suck Good.